Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 246 of Yogaland. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. How are you? I'm good. We I'm really are good. heading into a holiday week in the U.S. We're heading into Thanksgiving, and that sort of, in the U.S., kicks off the holiday season. Oh, yeah. So... We are going to talk today about how forced cheerfulness can be can be hard for some people. Yeah. And there are just other challenges that come up around the holidays yeah. and how we can lean into our yoga and mindfulness practices to help us manage the holidays. Yeah. It's kind of like this is a nuanced time for the human condition. It's like uh, an elevated time for human stuff. Yes. You know, human so things. we take the whole panoply of feelings and some of them are super great for many and some of them are not super great for many and most are somewhere a little bit in between and sharing some of both. Is that how you pronounce that word, panoply? That's how I pronounce it. <laughs> Pana- I think it's panoply. I, I, I call just, it panoply. Okay, I like it. Yeah. I, I really like it. You kind of added... I know what it means. You added a um, a syllable, panoply, instead of panoply. Let's, let's take this off air. Okay. I think... Oh, God. I think... For real? I think I nailed it. Before we get to the bulk of our conversation... Let's just go do some housekeeping and talk yes. about what we've going on, got going on right now. We've got your last online workshop for the year. Yeah. Is now open for registration. It is. And that is your preventing and managing common yoga inju- injuries yes. workshop. Yeah. It is up. It is running. It is live. It is available. And it is super good, if I do say so myself. This is one of the harder ones for me to create. I've created it four times. The reason it's challenging to create is just the nature of the content is it's dense, it's nuanced. And finding that line where as non-medical practitioners, we are not providing a therapy, we're not providing diagnosis, but we are in fact still helping people manage their yoga practice and take on best practices and understand if your knee's hurting in pigeon pose, how to manage it. That's That's a fine line to carry. That's a sometimes difficult boundary to manage. So it's just one of these trainings that a lot goes into it. But I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy with it. I want to add also, because I don't go through the entire course, but I look at all the content and, you know, put all of the materials together, that this is, to me, looks like it's a great course. Also, if you just want to deepen your knowledge of yoga anatomy. You don't do a separate yoga anatomy course because I think not, there would be a lot of not overlap. Not yet. I will at some point. Okay. But not yet. Can, there's no way I can deal with medial meniscus issues without talking a little bit about the medial meniscus. I can't talk about managing downward facing dog and anterior shoulder issues without looking at the anterior part of the shoulder and downward facing dog. So there is a lot of anatomy to it. It's a very accessible, user-friendly anatomy. But yeah, I think this isn't just applicable for teachers, but earnest yoga practitioners that want to understand concepts and best practices. And also, you know, we don't want to injure ourselves in our practice, of course, but 
the reality is a lot of us get little sports medicine issues and these will not confirm or deny those issues, but it will teach us how to work with them. Okay. Meaning there's no, it's not going to, it's not a specific treatment protocol. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if you want to get more specific details about this program or register, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash injuries. And you are also going to launch next year a 200-hour foundational yoga teacher training program. So let's you know, talk about that. Yeah. So, okay, here's the bottom line. It has taken me two years to understand how to do a 200-hour training online correctly because I don't do anything in the yoga room or online in kind of like a partially thought through half-baked quick rushed poorly produced way I just can't you are like, such a half-asser I can't I? do it I can't <laughs> do it I can't go 60% I can't and the reality is converting the 300 hour training to an online format is is actually much more simple than a 200 hour format a 200-hour format, because it's people's foundational introduction to teaching yoga and what that entails, that's harder. Mm -hmm. It really is harder. And there have to be more safeguards put in for a more foundational training so people understand what they're getting into and so that we can have mechanisms to build community mm -hmm. and relationships. And so it's taken me a long time to really sit through how I want. I, it's not an issue of content. It's an issue of user experience and user relationship to the training and the people involved in the training. That's, that's been the, the proverbial tough nut to really sort through and figure out. But I'm really excited about where I'm going with it. And yeah, it will, uh, it will debut in late February or March. Okay, great. So we are going to get more information and details up about that as soon as my, as fast as my little fingers can click and get all the information up there. We'll keep you posted. There's one more thing that's super awesome. Okay. And it's, you know, we are our own advertisers. So we like to let people know what's going on because that's what pays for our dog's kibble. Mm -hmm. But we also have an increase in a ton of our free content. So we are launching Yoga Land, Yoga Teacher's Companion, and it's launching in the next week or two. Great. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have weekly episodes that are much shorter format. It's going to be in addition to the Yoga Land that you already do. So it's going to be an additional episode per week. And it is, uh, it has video. It has, uh, to be honest with you, by far the most produced best video content I have ever been in, let alone produced myself. You're so excited. I am totally. It's a three camera shoot. It looks really, really good. And it's really specifically oriented around important topics as yoga teachers. So the first episode is going to feature, remember not too long ago, we were talking about backbend modifications. Yeah. Well, that was one of the countless examples where I wanted to show people what those five options are. Mm -hmm. So what this is going to do is each episode is going to take on a relatively narrow topic. The episodes will be 10 to 15 minutes long. 
you can still listen to them, but even more preferable to watch them on our site or on YouTube. And you will see in this first episode, like, here are the five, my favorite ways of helping people feel better in Urdhvidzanyarasana. The second one is about the conversation about whether or not you should anteriorly tilt your pelvis or posteriorly tilt your pelvis and backbends, which I think are both the wrong question, which I will get to. Third one is my five favorite preparations for backbend. So I'm kind of on this backbend uh, tear. So this content is going to be kind of what you brought up earlier. It's going to be totally relevant for all practitioners, right? And it's really going to focus on asana practice uh, and breath. You're going to have some moments where you're teaching some meditation content as well. But it's also focused around the experience of teachers. And just, we have so many teachers that are listeners. And I feel like for so many of the teachers that listen to us, I'm just a little bit further down the river they are in experience. And so I know what I was struggling with a couple of years ago that's a little bit more clear for me now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so, so much of what this content will be is not just hot topics, but it's the thing as a teacher that, that I've had to do a lot to unpack. And I'm really excited for it. Good. Yeah. That's great. I yeah. can, I know that you genuinely are because I've seen you working on it and just hearing, I just seeing your little face right now, I can yeah. tell you're excited. That's the coffee. Genuine excitement. Starting to wake up. Good. So have you ever had a difficult phase of holidays? Yes, I have. I wasn't necessarily going to start with me because some of mine are dark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of mine are dark. You don't have to get into two. Like, we don't have to hear about grandma. No, it's oh, not we that. We can. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's not that. I'm not yeah. going to be inappropriate. I know. The thing that comes to mind for me is my very first year in San Francisco, I was 23. I had moved out to San Francisco a week after college graduation. And when holiday time rolled around, I had a terrible office job. I mean, I felt very lucky to have a job because it was 1994 and there were no jobs then. But I had a terrible office job where I had, I think, 10 days off per year. And I couldn't really waste, quote unquote, waste those days to go home for both Thanksgiving and for Christmas. My parents lived on the East Coast at the time, and I was going to go home for Christmas, but I couldn't go home for Thanksgiving. So uh, for most people, places in the States, by Thanksgiving, the Christmas decorations have started to go up in the city. I just, I can remember just the, the daylight got really short. So I would go from work, you know, to the BART station in the dark and the Christmas lights started to go up and I would leave the office and it was really cold and the Christmas lights were up and I would, it would be dark. And I just felt profoundly sad and lonely that I wasn't, I've just felt deeply, deeply sad and lonely that I wasn't going home to be with family and that I didn't, I don't remember where I went. I had somewhere to go but it's not memorable. So it didn't really feel like a place that had any meaning for me. And it was just like a time in my life. I mean, you know, I could have said to myself, oh, well, I'll see my parents soon. But it was just a time in my life where I was young and I felt like I was supposed to kind of have my life all figured out and I didn't have anything figured out. So it just, it was a hard time. I think this is kind of 
what I was thinking about earlier of a time of heightened human experience. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that we have these expectations, right? And some of us don't just have expectations, we have heightened memories, you know, and I think there's a lot of people who, when they go through loss of a loved one, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child, whether it's a sibling, whatever it is, and then you have, you have all of those deeply poignant memories of happiness that, Mm -hmm. that you don't feel right now. Yeah. You know, and so whether it's that, whether it's that in this moment you you aren't sharing in the expectation or in this season you are remembering when you did mm-hmm. both can be there's like a catalog of them too yes because it's the time the date is marked yes. each year the pictures yes the food yeah the sights the smells the sounds yeah. the feelings it's just it's, it's, it's it can be a very overwhelming catalog of of memory and like you said expectation yeah and you are you know this conversation initiated because you wrote a a blog piece about it yes and you are writing that right now you do feel really good that it is a really happy time Mm -hmm. right and same here it actually has been for a a long time Mm -hmm. right and I think that there is you know there's a part of us as empathic people decently empathic people who when we are having a great grounded, happy phase of life, it can be difficult to shout that from the banisters because one, you know, a little bit of sensitivity and you get a little scared of over-celebrating, right? (laughs) If you're like me, you're like, I don't really want to put this in the universe's face. Kind of want the universe to not totally notice this. (laughs) so funny. Right? But then also because you know that other people are in a a heightened state of struggle, right? And so you don't want to like... You don't want to whitewash that or, you know, overly indulge with your celebration when you know that that might make someone else feel not as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, so it's complicated. I think it's complicated for everyone. I think that to just add one more thought to that time, that first memory of having the hardest time, that was a time before I had yoga. Yeah. That was a time before I had any sense of philosophical or, or spiritual ground beneath me. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this and write about it is that I do think that there are things that you can draw upon from your hours of practice and just bring with you when you're when you're struggling in these like you're saying in these heightened human events. What do you think stands out as the first one? I think that, you know, partially this might just be because it was my experience. I just felt so alone when I was going through that, when I would walk, you know, in the dark lights up, it just seemed like everyone else around me had, was like having the best time and just had a sense of purpose or had a sense of place. um, And I didn't have that. And I can't say that you can take that feeling away for people. Sometimes you just go through rough periods in life. Right. But what we tend to do is we tend to get so scared of hard feelings that we just don't want to think about them. And that makes it feel even worse. So Mm -hmm. the first thing that I think about is just accepting your feelings. Yes. And actually having an awareness that they're there. Yeah. And once you have that awareness, like for me, I would say that the 
loudest feeling at that time was probably loneliness. Yeah. Just like yeah, same. deep, same. profound loneliness. Yeah. And if you can recognize and put a name to the feeling, you can then say to yourself, I- I'm, this is a universal part of the human experience. You kind of demystify it. And I don't mean this in any like, I don't mean this in any other way. Sometimes when I use this word this way, it sounds weird, but you kind of demystify it and you objectify it. You mm-hmm. almost make the feeling of loneliness an object. And when it's an object, it's not so amorphous. Mm-hmm. It's not so unpredictable. Hopefully it's not so forever. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's like laundry that you have that you, you, you've you not had any piece of laundry your whole life. So hopefully you will not have this piece of laundry your whole life, but you have it and you have to deal with it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think that's a good thought. Like when you say it's when you look at it as an object, I, I often like anthropomorphize feelings. Like I'll make them human. I had no idea. Oh, really? Yeah. Only when I'm going through a really hard time. Fair um, so it's like, I'm sure I'm not the person to come up with this, but I can't remember who to credit it to. But it's like, instead of thinking, oh my God, what is this feeling? Like, I don't, this is like, I'm going to have to do something to fix it. Or how am I going to get it fixed? Or why can't I fix it? It's like making it outside of yourself. So you're saying making it an object. I'm saying like, like another part of you, Mm. like another shade of you that's just sitting next to you. Yeah. And doing that, I mean, I think we're so, we're so conditioned to feel like all of our thoughts and our feelings are so true. Mm. And it's a way of saying like, this is just a part of me. It's not the whole me. Right. It's just one part. Right. And it's, it, I can actually put it over here right now and it can sit in its own box for a yeah. little while. Or as a person, like when I visualize it as a person, it's like I can turn toward it in a very parental way, to be quite frank. Like yeah. Yeah, I can yeah, turn yeah. toward yeah. it in the way that I would want someone to turn toward me in that moment. Right. And just say like, it's okay. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, you, you've got a seat right here. It's cool. You can just hang out. I see you. It's okay. Yeah. I remember when you and I were reading a book about stages of infant development, Mm -hmm. that book about leaps. Yeah. And in the... I think it's a Dutch book. Maybe. Anybody who has babies will know this book, the leap book. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the introduction, the author writes, no one escapes. And what he meant by this was, there's not a single parent that has a single baby that escapes certain complexities of being a parent with a baby. Mm. I think that for me, whether it's, we'll, 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 do, we'll, stay, we'll stay on the topic of holidays. Like no one for their, for their entire life is going to escape being really lonely sometimes exactly. or being really sad sometimes or being exhilarated and hoping, uh-oh, <laughs> I hope this doesn't stop sometimes. Like, Maybe there are some rare outliers that are like, you know, that just have a, like a particularly unique nervous system and neurology disposition. disposition. Yeah. Um, but but no one is really alone in their feelings. No, feelings right? are universal. But I'm, I kind of want to play with this, right? Because when you wrote and when you said accepting your feelings, my first thought too was, and also accepting other people's feelings may be different than your own, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that that's so often the conflict that people have with family. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, like, we, I have an amazing relationship with my family. You have 
a pretty you have a I have a good a relationship. Great, you have a great relationship with your family, but you have a little bit more nuance with one member of your family. Yes, my family's a little yeah. more complicated. So, but that, but that's there's right. some a lot no, 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 of similarities too. Right, 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 right. But it's not always easy to be around them. No. <laughs> and the reason being is I think about this all the time. I think about just being in different phases of life. You know, like no matter what, our family, especially our parents and or our children, they're at different phases of life. Mm-hmm. And it's just difficult to be on the same page all the time for with someone that's in a different phase of their life, mm-hmm. right? So the point that I want to try to get at is, I'm trying to figure out how to how to say this, is I think a lot of people struggle around the holidays with their family because they don't feel seen, much of which is legit. But also sometimes I think we have to extend a fair amount of grace that other people just have their own inner life too. Yeah, absolutely. And that they may feel different about things than you. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean they don't understand, Mm -hmm. but it just means that they don't necessarily have the same current experience. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like I don't know if it has always been this way. I feel like as humans, we really struggle – when people don't think the exact same way that we think about everything. I think it's very, I think you've touched on something that I've been thinking a lot about, which is that we find it very ungrounding when someone very close to us doesn't see something the same way. Right. It can feel like the earth is shaking beneath us a little bit. It can feel kind of like, it, it can strike fear into people. Right. And it's 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 interesting, right? Because... It's so much easier to disrupt stability than it is to produce it, mm-hmm. right? It's so much easier to disrupt it. But I'm still trying to wrap my head around, and I'm just going to go ahead and see, say the V word, right? I'm still trying to wrap my head around why. Because this- You better spit this word vaccine, out really soon. Vaccine. Okay. Vaccine. Vagina. Not. <laughs> Not like, no. you gotta just say it because it's hanging the other, out that's there. That's the other V word, but that's not the one I'm referring to. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, because I think that this is kind of like this is going to be one of the family hot topics this year. Like this is gonna be a source well, of Well, even beforehand, right? Because right. people are gonna have to decide. Th- that's what I mean, yeah. right? That's yeah. what I mean, right? Yeah. And it's so interesting that we have a very difficult time compartmentalizing. And sometimes we just have to compartmentalize. And what I'm so what I'm trying to get at is I think there's going to be so many people that struggle, not just with the possible medical scenario of whether someone is vaccinated or not. It's the psycho-emotional political implications of what you are now going to maybe have conflict with this person that you don't have conflict in other situations, Mm -hmm. but they are vaccinated or they're not vaccinated or they believe it or they don't believe it. But regardless, this is one of those scenarios where... Look, some people might have a different feeling than you, and they might be a loved one. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I've always struggled, right? Because I don't want to be an apologist or complacent for things that I think are improper or inappropriate. But I also feel like we've, we've gotten to a place within ourselves where we just don't handle difference very well. 
No. We just don't. No. And so that that's kind of where I'm thinking is like, we so have to accept our own feelings and own our own feelings and take responsibility for them. And we have to actually acknowledge that our loved ones might not share them all the time. Yeah. And that, that, and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that we can extend that grace without therefore being an apologist that is complacent and ruining the world on, on whatever side of the spectrum you're on. I mean, especially if it's people you truly care about. That's right. What I, yes, it's correct. You know, course. I mean, I can remember talking to my therapist one time about the person in my family who you're referring to who's challenging. And she just said, at the end of the day, this person is still your family member. Yeah. You know, yeah. always going to be your family member. So yeah. you have to just kind of choose how important that is to you. Yeah. What I want to say about what you just said was a few things. First of all, I think you are, have always been exceptionally good at seeing people for who they are and accepting them for who they are, including with your family. Because I grew up with a cocaine addict. So the, the, you meant the, that led you to accept him? I think, yeah, because uh, because my brother, when I was at such a young, we have a pretty big Age disparity. Eight years. Eight yeah. years. Mm-hmm. And by the time he was, by the time he was 15, he was using all sorts of stuff. And so I was seven and I knew because I, because I'm pretty perceptive about the world around me, especially the world that's like right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I didn't not love him. I knew that I looked up to him. I knew that I wanted a more stable relationship with him. I knew that it was complicated in my family, but I never actually thought less of him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I just feel like from a from an early age, like I've kind of always been drawn to outsiders. I've been always drawn to people that are different. And I always have understood that the human experience is complicated. And so I can have a difference with someone that's in my family. And still love them. And still love them. I think, though, that it goes further. I think you also, and I think you touched on something important, which is that it hurts us when really important people in our lives disagree or disappoint us in some way because some, for some reason, it makes us not feel seen or yes. validated. Yeah. And I think that's another, that's like the, the other element that you have somehow mastered, yes. which is that you don't expect him to agree, approve, validate. No live a life similar to yours. No. And you're like that with your parents too. And I mean, I've known you since you were in your 20s. And yeah. even at that point, you had that figured out. I didn't have that figured out yet. I do crave external validation. Mostly from the Chihuahua. Mostly from the Chihuahua. <laughs> so I'm sensitive and neurotic in ways, but I also just feel like, man, I just feel like Everyone has a pretty complex inner life, mm-hmm. and I just don't expect you to spend all of your time acknowledging me and my time. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if I'm not being seen by you, you might you're probably not being seen by me. Yeah. So this kind of I, this kind of contemporary thing of like everyone needs to always be seen and validated, and we can't have a disagreement of feelings or interpretation of data or science or technique or perspective. It's really bifurcating us even further. And it, and perhaps... Panoply and bifurcation. Bifurcation I'm using is my the correct here. one, yeah. But And perhaps, and I don't think you are in any way like pointing a finger at someone 
And I mean, I've had this problem for years, so I'll just put it on myself. Maybe it's a bit self-centered of me to need my family members to see and acknowledge and celebrate all the things that I am all the time. Well, a little bit. Okay. So let's, let's, let me not be too much of a Midwestern male, right? A little bit goes a long way. You know what I mean? Like a little bit goes a long way, but I, I feel like I actually happen to, okay, back to politics. Everyone in my family we have the same politics. Yeah, you do. We That's really true. do. Also, we really my do. family. Yeah, my yeah, family yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. And then my family and your family, same. Mm-hmm. Same realm. Yes. Right? <laughs> but like the way that I need validation is not through my political orientation. It's not through my diet. It's not through, you know, whether like I look better or not. It's You know what I mean? It's not, it's that it, the validation means like I genuinely want people to inquire how are you? Are you well? Are you happy? Not, we have to be on the same page with whether you watch Fox or MSNBC. You know what I mean? Like everyone in my family watches one of those, not the other one of those. Mm -hmm. Okay. Really loud on loud volume. Oh my God. Several TVs on the same floor echoing each other at once. Oh my God. But we won't talk about that. Oh my God. But also we need to be seen. We need to hold ourselves accountable to relate to our own feelings. And we just have to remember everyone is on their own complicated trip. Yeah, they just absolutely. Are. They just are. I think to take that a step further, you know, there are, I don't think it can be that uncommon to have folks around your table, whether they are your family or your extended family or your neighbors or whatever. There are people who we encounter who are just plain old narcissistic and totally. won't ask you how you're doing totally. or really won't see you. Totally. And I have a lot of experience with that. And that's really painful mm. and really for years can be very painful because you can spend a long time trying to get them to see you in different ways. So you're kind of like doing back bends yeah. and back handsprings and gymnastics Literally. and all these things. <laughs> like, look at my triangle pose. And Dad, uh, look at my triangle pose. <laughs> and uh, you know, and you just you're just not gonna connect. So yes. I guess what I wanna say is that part of this podcast was supposed to be offering like, you know, some some service. So yeah. I want to just offer that you know, if these are things that you struggle with, there there are a few things that I kind of have done over the years to cope. And one is to really before and after surround myself, either whether it's a phone conversation or a, fo- a FaceTime or whatever it is, in-person coffee with people who do see me yeah, yeah and yeah, do yeah. appreciate yeah, me yeah. and do understand me yeah. because it is helpful to have that grounding. Totally. And also someone who is mature and who you can kind of have a laugh about it without feeling like you're betraying yourself or other people. I think it's really important to connect with people that do see you if you if you yeah. are in that kind of situation and also to um to keep a sense of humor. Yes. At all times, yes. guys. At all times. Yeah. Like even if you cannot show what you think is funny in the moment if it would insult everyone around you, you can store it away. Oh, totally. And tell the story to your friend after. Totally. And that totally. is life. That is what makes life worth living sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Is to see the humor in things. I'm thinking about the scenario, right, of, and I have no idea, uh, but the name Uncle Al is coming to my mind, right? Okay. Is this like um, 
I don't think it's like Ted Bundy or something, right? Okay. But like, okay, so the, everyone is going to have, not everyone, but most people are going to have someone in their life that is a little more self-absorbed, maybe a little bit more of a narcissist, maybe a full-blown narcissist, maybe just has a certain personality quirk where they're just, they're not going to ask you about you. And we want that validation, right? So it's it's nice to be surrounded by others who we're going to get it from. And at some point, we just have to realize like, okay, Uncle Al just isn't ever going to ask me about triangle pose. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it ain't coming. There, there are and, multitude and, of reasons that could be right? reasons why. And that doesn't, and, and so maybe I need to be kind to Uncle Al. But I no longer have to do back handsprings. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so so getting to that phase of maturity where, I mean, I, I pretend that I don't, that I'm not a people pleaser, but I am, mm-hmm. you know? And I think at some point, especially when it's, and when it's family relations, whether it's direct family, whether it's the family that you've married into, like at some point, like, not everyone has to be super intimate friends. Not everyone is going to really vibe with everyone else. And at some point, civility is probably enough. Right. I think... At some point, civility is enough. Yeah. And just, that's enough. We don't have to have more. I don't have... I, I can stop accepting more from aunt this or aunt that or whatever because this, it's like... This just is who they are. This is the relationship that it is. Mm-hmm. It only happens once or twice or three times a year. Mm-hmm. And it's not really going to change. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to completely bail and give up unless it's toxic and mm-hmm. problematic, in which case, of course. Mm-hmm. But where I can just say, look, I, what, what, what is it within me that is constantly looking for validation from someone from that doesn't have the capacity yeah. to give me that validation. It's my time to realize I'm not playing this game anymore. It's huge. That is, you really and actually articulated that so well. It can be so hard and it can take a lot of therapy or a lot of, a lot, a lot of years. But I think that for me, once I kind of got to that place, when you get to the place where you can say to yourself, huh, this person just doesn't have the capacity to meet my needs the way I always wanted my needs met or the way I always felt I deserved to have my needs met. I could then say to myself, but look at all the other, like for me anyway. And I, again, we're not talking about toxic, toxic abuse people, but for me, look at all the other like amazing, adorable things about this person. And look at all the... Oh, there's some that don't have any amazing, adorable things. Well, the person but... I'm not... About. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, what I'm saying is when I got I to this no point... I have no Uncle Al surrogate. It's a totally made-up scenario, yeah. by the way. When I got to the point where I could accept the person in my life for their limitations, I was then able to see the beauty of this person oh, totally. in just being a person. Yeah. And just, ha- like you said, having their own story and their yeah. own things that they dealt with that yeah. I no- can't even possibly imagine. Um, and so that is a really, it's a very liberating place to get to in yourself. Um, and it can be, um, also, you know, a very compassionate place for that person. That doesn't mean that you have to act on that compassion constantly. I don't, 
Um, but it's, it's there and it's meaningful to me. So, so we're we're sort of talking about, you, you went from, we just talked about, you know, people who we just feel are not going to meet those expectations, but there are also the people in our lives who we might just want to try to connect with a little bit more during these times. And we might just want to give it another shot or just kind of be open. I mean, I think so much of spiritual practice is simply staying open to what's happening in the present moment. Sure. So if that's the case for you, my advice is to walk into an event in your most wise, compassionate avatar, mm. right? Like most generous so that you've, you've, you've done your practices leading up the week before. You've seen your friends. You feel really good about yourself. You know who you are. You're feeling great. And you can go in and you can be generous with other people in terms of looking them in the eye, listening to them, being present, you know, letting the small things roll off. If you want to engage in a, in a more a trickier discourse, literally letting them speak and listening to what they have to say and maybe even trying to reflect is this what you're trying to say and repeat it back to them so that like you can have a clarifying conversation instead of going in kind of with your battle armor yeah on so almost taking on a role and I don't and I don't mean a role that is external to who you are no you know we all we all have have to take on roles at various times yeah um the issue is the 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 trouble with like what in the like neurodiverse community is called masking, right? Like we all go into social situations and mask from time to time. The thing that causes like psychological turmoil is if we don't know we're masking. Yeah, right. Because there's going to be a listener that's like, well, I'm going to be my authentic self. Okay. So, okay. Got it. So let me respond to that, which is I know my authentic self and there are a lot of layers to who my authentic self is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sometimes my authentic self is like really focused and really sincere and really earnest. The other time my authentic self is like, I just want to prank and BS. The other times, you know, like, so I, I don't think, I don't think people actually are perfectly singular in their authentic self. We actually are layered and nuanced. Right. Mm -hmm. And so kind of taking on uh, it as a practice. Right. And I kind of think about this, like I think about when I go into teaching a class as a teacher, I always know what I want to teach that day. I'm open to it changing, but I always know what, what I want to teach that day. But I also know as a teacher, what I want to practice teaching that day, meaning I know I've been talking too much lately. Okay, I want to really practice a little bit more verbal self-restraint today. Or, you know, I'm teaching this small group and it's on Zoom and so everyone is signed in and I have their names. I want to practice using everyone's name today, right? So as a yoga teacher, I'm still being my my authentic self but I'm also choosing something to practice Mm -hmm. when I'm in that environment, Mm -hmm. right? And especially around the holidays, if it is around the dinner table or whatever it is, like it's kind of like a class. Like it's a a fixed period of time in your life, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So, and it's not like you have to fake it, but it is like, okay, this is what I'm probably going to have to practice. Let me see if I have this within myself for this person that I just, my whole life, I want them to ask me more about me. Let me practice not really caring or let me practice getting to know them better, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you said it exactly. It's, it's, it's can be, that's kind of how I wrote the post. It's like, it can be a really interesting thing to practice all these things that we talk about in class and all these things that we meditate on and all these things that we, you know, sitting with the discomfort and responding before we re- just react and staying neutral and staying open and staying inquisitive. Okay, this is like an opportunity, if you feel up for it, to put all of these things to the test. And if you need a break, like go to the bathroom and do five minutes of pranayama. And just, you know. We should sell an app for that. (laughs) Should it make like bathroom noises while you're doing it? (laughs) No, no, no. I think people misunderstand bathroom noises. Like more like white noises that mask being in the bathroom. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Those are very different. Bathroom noises and noises that mask being in the bathroom. Well, the thing is, if you keep going to the bathroom over and over to do your breathing breaks, you might get some other questions. You have to be prepared for those. Yeah. Like, Like, you okay there? How's the turkey going down? Exactly. Yes. Any other tools and techniques that you feel like they're just... You know, there might be new to people or just good yoga-based common sense that is important to remember. I think just a really foundational remembrance of the law of impermanence. I was going to say that. Yeah. You know, so yeah. so I can look back on that situation 20-whatever years ago that was, and it was just a time in my life. It, yeah. it was a tough time yeah. and it, and it lasted quite a while. I'm not saying it lasted those three weeks before Christmas. It lasted probably about a year for me of, of challenges, but, um, but still here I am, I'm in my future self and, and things are different. So, so you will get through it. And just as you can look at the, the, the difficult feelings will change or shift or the difficult encounters will change or shift, you know, this life is short. And yeah. relatively. And so as much as you can, try to take in any of the good that you can for this particular time. Yeah, that practice of taking in the good, I think, is so key. And I, I, I know we want to wrap, but this, this idea of taking in the good, I think for some people, myself included, not now, but more me in the past. Yeah, me too. More me in the past. Taking in the good was always mixed with, wait a second, if I'm taking in the good, does that mean I'm covering up the not good? And the answer at this phase of my life is, no, that's not what it means. Taking in the good and covering up the not good are totally separate, totally separate phenomenon. Yeah. We should be able to, as a yoga practicing community and as adults and mature people in our lives, hold more than one thought and feeling inside our existence at a time. And taking in the good does not mean we are disassociated from or denying the bad and the complicated. It means we're, I think, a little bit more immersed in the reality of the human condition. And I've always thought about the yoga practice as this, this way of, at minimum, traditionally... 
arguably the yoga practice is a phenomenon of transcending the human condition. It's really hard to read the Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita and Patanjali and all these things and not see that they were looking to transcend the human condition. But I'll take managing it decently. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I gave up that pipe dream yeah, 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 quite yeah. a while ago. It, which isn't to say it's <laughs> it's a pipe dream for others. Right. No, right? not just or that for it's me. Never been just done. speaking for myself. Right. Yeah. Or that or that in or that we it won't happen. But come this Thanksgiving, if you're not or Christmas, I guess we oh Thanksgiving and Christmas will be in time. If you're not like transcending the human condition. Practice embracing its complexity and managing it deftly hmm. because that's the first step. Even Patanjali, who wants you to ultimately transcend Prakriti, knows that first you have to be a, a skillful manager of Prakriti. You can't skip steps. Mm-hmm. And I can promise everyone that if they can't deal with not getting some adoration that they want at the family dinner... And if everyone thinks like everyone has to be on the same political side of the spectrum, good luck trans, like good luck with the more deeper dimensions of the human experience. Yeah. Like this is basic stuff. Yeah. It's not easy, Mm -hmm. but it's basic mental and emotional regulation. Yep. In most, in most situations, I'm not talking about like this. I can, my mind can immediately think. I know, me too. there's extremes. I know, I know, me too. I know there's extremes. We know, we know that this is not, we're not trying to, I think like. I don't want to be at all dismissive. Right. I think that's the thing. Trauma and horrible relationships and so forth. But I think that for the majority of people, the majority of the time, all of the tools and techniques and the reflections that we're presenting in this conversation they're pretty serviceable. Yeah. 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 We'll put it there. All right. Thanks, Jason. My pleasure. We wish you just a peaceful, easeful, fun, humor-filled holiday season wherever you are and whatever you celebrate. I know there are so many things that people celebrate that we don't talk about and that and so many holidays that we've missed. But that's our wish for you and until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm-hmm.